Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. Today, we are going to be talking about the Anthony Molino and Martha Henry production of The Tempest that premiered in Stratford in 2018. And from uh, our panel today, we have our literary manager, Ryan Borakovich, joining us once again. Welcome back, Ryan. Always a pleasure, Mac. Thanks for having me. Fabulous. We have a new guest in front of the company, Ms. Rachel Fisher. Hello, Rachel. Hello. <laughs> yes, she's joining us today. And then last but not least, we have Mr. William Bartley, the artistic director of Copper Hemlock. Hello, Will. Hello. Nice to One. be here. Hello. And Will, why don't you kick us off with what are you drinking today in your cup? Well, out of my How I Met Your Mother reference cup, um, <laughs> as you can see, this is going to be a legendary podcast episode review thing. Um, I am drinking rum and coke. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Rachel, how about you? What are you drinking? Oh, well, I'm having a mojito of sorts. Kind of mojito. Like mint, lime, rum, some cucumber water that I found at the really bougie store across my street. Nice. Because um, like that's exactly what you drink on an island. It's true. That is very island and tropical. That, that is very smart. And Mr. Ryan, what are you drinking today? And what is uh, your cup? So as always, I'm drinking orange pico tea, but I've kind of been thinking about the cup a little bit because I feel like my cup has been pretty boring in previous episodes, just mug <laughs> who needs it. Right. So I've been wanting to use this cup for a while. I was saving it for, you know, ideally we would do an episode on Midsummer at one point, but that is not scheduled in the Stratford programming. So I might no. say, hey, Tempest, why not? So this is a mug from, I don't know, because it's the Donkey Sanctuary of Canada. Ah! Which would have been appropriate if we were talking about Midsummer right now. Uh, uh, uh. Well done, well done. And I am drinking from my regular silver tankard once again, and I'm having my water. So that is that. So yes, as we said today, we will be uh, discussing the uh, the production of The Tempest starring Martha Henry as Prospero. And as we kick off this review, we're going to start off with the good parts. Right. So, Rachel, why don't you kick us off with who was a character that you think was best performed for this particular production of The Tempest? Uh, I actually did a lot of thinking about this, um, but I, who, the person I found being drawn the most to, and it was almost a slow build for me, was Ariel. Was the Ariel. Andre um, Morona's Ariel, very good. Because I've, I actually, because um, I've taught the Tempest in a couple classes with a company I used to work with and, or work with still, um, just on hiatus, like everything is. And I, I've never seen a production of the Tempest. I've mm -hmm. seen clips here and there. Like I've, I've read the play, I've mm -hmm. taught the play. Um, and Ariel, the way they performed Ariel was so, um, like just ethereal and almost almost like puck a little bit. Yes, this is very puckish very elements. Um, I've always Ariel. actually had a had a desire for Ariel to be, or when I pictured Ariel being performed, I was kind mm -hmm. of pictured like instead of having one singular person, it was like multiple people as like a kind of because he's like they're like the spirit of the island kind yeah. of. Thing. So um, but I thought every time I looked at the performer as Ariel. There was always something really captivating about them. Mm -hmm. um, they seem to always kind of have a really strong intention. Yes. And I just found my eye always being drawn to them. So mm -hmm. that, that was good fun. choice. Fun fact is uh, Andre Murren was actually a last minute replacement for Ariel 
as when it was originally uh, announced for this production, it was going to be Martha Henry as Prospero and another Canadian theater legend, Brent Carver as Ariel, but he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. So Andre stepped up and I, I would have to agree, he did a marvelous job. He's been, now been a staple at Stratford for a number of seasons. Now he started as Marshall the Taylor in Fiddler. He's performed, uh, he's performed in Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he was Seymour Crawlborn in Little Shop. And then he was Ariel. And I think, yeah, it was a very different interpretation of Ariel than what yeah. I've seen. So I have to agree. Anybody else have Ariel on their list as a best performed part? Yes, Will. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you, Rachel. Like, Ariel definitely, for me, out of the entire cast of performers, like, Andre absolutely brought it, like, his yeah. A-game. I, I don't know if that's his standard game, but I certainly hope it is. Uh, <laughs> like, to speak more to it as well, because, uh, you know, I saw a lot of the techniques that are employed with the Toronto Theatre Academy and the training that we do mm-hmm. there. So it was really fun for me to watch because I could, like, you know, I, I was able to just click with a lot of what was happening there. Mm-hmm. But, like, his alternations between fast and slow tempos for his yeah. gestures, the the points of fixation, the specificity in which where the gesture existed. Mm-hmm. And then what was really brilliant about him is that he had such masterful control over whether the voice and the work that was being done with the voice was the attentive uh, pull for the audience or whether it was the movement. And he picked, I think, just absolutely flawless moments mm-hmm. to switch back and forth between the two, mm-hmm. where in these huge moments of tonal shift or increase in the tempo and intensity, uh, the addition of like color throughout the piece, if it was a, the focus on the voice, the the movements were very slow and gradual and then we were able to just listen as the audience to what exactly was being said and how it was being said um which mm-hmm. created that gravitas and that pull for that character or charisma if you will um and then with the movement aspects too what i loved is that it was so clear when we were supposed to be looking to his mask which mm-hmm. had such strong suppression of involuntary movement and i think that's what drew me in the most rachel when i was watching it is that every motion of his mask like his mask being his face of course sorry um was that every movement was intentional. There was no involuntary movement. Yeah. Everything he did was in service of the character and the story being told. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, though, like the way that he led with his mask when he wanted us to watch his face more than his body, right? And then in the larger scenes where he's part of a, uh, like part of a painting more so than the focus of the painting, he very much uh, drew attention to his body and let his mask just sit neutral without too much of a shift. So mm-hmm. I think he just had a masterful control over his body and his voice. And, he knew exactly when to use which one and which one to take the lead with for each scene. So I think it played wonderfully against uh, Prospero, who uh, took a yeah. bit more of a naturalism approach in terms of the acting with some of those more, uh, how to phrase, like more of the everyday movements you would see. And I think that, because I actually wrote in my notes too, Rachel, like the ethereal quality of the character was just pouring out of every scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because it was such a regular movement and action that we would normally see like in a day-to-day performance or like naturalism as a style, um, which is why I think those two together worked well yeah. because they yes. contrasted each other in acting styles and then mm-hmm. it really amplified the uh, like exotic quality of Ariel, like that um, mm-hmm. spiritualistic, I guess, uh, yeah. mystical quality of the character. Mm-hmm. So yes, mm-hmm. that is why Ariel was my favorite performance. Well mm-hmm. said. And uh, it's also good to note that he is a graduate of the Birmingham Conservatory which is the text-based school that Martha Henry ran for over a decade. And so she taught him a lot about text and mm-hmm. things like that. Him and the actress who played Miranda are both graduates from this specialized conservatory program, which is an interesting little thing to note. And Martha Henry recently retired from that position. And now it's Stephen Olmet who played Trinculo, who is the head of, who's head of that program. So there we go. Fun fact there. Ryan, how about you? Who is your shout out of the day? Uh, yeah, I also 
Um, thought, yeah, Ariel was definitely a standout, but I think the one I'd like to talk about for this segment is David Collins as Al- Alonzo, or Alfonso, or the, the king. Oh, the king. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I just want, felt like he has been in all four of these productions that have been mm-hmm. released now since, and like he's kind of just been hitting it out of the park every week and usually pretty smaller, understated roles. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I think he just does such a good job of kind of just, like, anchoring the cast. He always, like, kind of brings this, like, gravitas and, like, strength to whichever minor character he's playing. And this is probably one of the larger roles we've seen him play. Yes. Maybe it was Ross last week in Macbeth, but otherwise he played, like, one of the lords in the mm-hmm. final scene of Coriolanus. And yeah. I don't even remember which character he played in Lear, but he was definitely in it. It was like a, yeah. another lesser nobleman figure. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I've been very impressed with him. He always kind of just commands whatever scene he's in without being too showy and mm-hmm. taking up too much space. I think yeah. like Graham Abbey and Andre Sills had like the big showier part as Sebastian and Antonio in those mm-hmm. same scenes. And they kind of stole the scene a bit, but I think it's only you know, very much helped by the fact mm-hmm. that David Collins really kind of, he, he he was like a king. You can really tell if he was like good. He was had this real kind of interesting ambiguity, ambiguity going on. And we only really know whether or not he's worthy of redeeming through Prospero, who obviously has yeah. mixed feelings about him. So, yes. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that performance was definitely worth a shout out. As Absolutely. As I, have to, I have to agree. I remember seeing him when I was in Stratford Shakespeare School when I was a youngster and seeing him all the time on, on stage, it was always a treat to kind of pick him out because you're right. He definitely grounds the scenes that you see him in. He's always just kind of nicely cropped up throughout production. I'm sure we will be able to keep track of him throughout the other productions because he usually does a Shakespeare show every season. Mm-hmm. That's usually one of his, uh, part of his reps. So I'm sure we'll be able to continually track him. I don't know if he's in time in next week. I'll have to check my notes on that again. But yeah, absolutely. I have to agree. The King of Naples, a very underrated role in the show as well. He's often a forgotten character, even though technically, if you're doing a male Prospero, he's almost the, the foil to mm-hmm. Prospero, where they're both doing the same parallel story, where they're both losing children. Yep. So very interesting there. Uh, I will say, though, my shout out is actually a combo shout out because they were, they're, they're partners uh, throughout the whole show. That is Mimi, uh, um, I don't know how to say your last name. Zetwiller as, as Miranda and uh, Sebastian Hines as Ferdinand because I just found they had really great chemistry together on stage. Like I was drawn to them and watching their, their interactions and they actually made me care about the love story of this. And that's been the one element of this play that I've never had a big kind of investment in throughout, throughout, throughout the whole time doing like we like I, I performed in I performed a version an adapted version of this for Stratford Shakespeare School we saw it with Christopher Plummer when I was there then they, I went back in summer with the Henry do it live and both in all those times the love story never really stood until I saw these two get on stage together mm-hmm. they just had this wonderful genuine organic chemistry that made this love understandable it was like oh I actually get the lusty kind of hot and heaviness of these two characters like the log the carrying the scene was so great watching the two of them play off each other especially with the comedy so yes. Yeah. yes right like like just watching her try carry the log and him carry the log something that i thought was really funny about that like he played the role like as if you know this is very hard labor and he's like a real weakling while he's 
shirtless and very clearly jacked, which yes. I thought made for like a fun contrast yeah. while watching it. Then when she picks it yeah. up, she's struggling, but not as much as him, which yeah. she, like very, yeah, she's a bit of a twig. So it was kind of very funny to watch that. Yeah, yes. great dynamic. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I will say, I think, I think, I think when it was them plus Martha Henry as Prosper on stage, the three of them all played off each other really well. Like that first scene where uh, Miranda gets woken up from her sleep and she gets to see Ferdinand for the first time, and you see kind of Prosper manipulating the scene, which is kind of picking on him, and he's and, and he's doing his uh, bravado with his with his sword, and she's mocking him about that there's that there's, the three of them played off each other really well and she does wonderful. force lightning which i thought was an interesting decision right mix of sound right? design and blocking that she's yeah from a distance exactly <laughs> I, w- I will agree that the the comedic moments of these characters played well mm-hmm. yes but... more on that later <laughs> I, okay. more on that later <laughs> more on that later I wonderful i think that like will and i might be on the same wavelength right now Ooh. Yeah, because I don't really. I am excited. Yeah. So, I am anyway, excited. we'll continue. Continue. Yes, and I will say we should give a nice, nice little to be on a to team. Martha Henry, because because uh, as Ryan right, points out, a lot of the time, yes, yes, if it's a Lear or or it's a Quirinius, we oftentimes will try to avoid saying the title person just because we go, we know it's about them. But mind you, Martha Henry was the star of of, of this show. That she was the build actor mm-hmm. actress. Doing this performance, and I do think she did a did a did a very good job with the character. We'll get more into her as we go along because I do think there were some hiccups with this adaptation, uh, but we'll get into that. But I do think overall, we do have to give her a rightful shout out as as a leading member of this particular show as Prospero. Mm-hmm. But now we're going to get into the p- characters we feel were not the best represented. And well, I want you to start this one because I see a puckish right. grin on your face. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Because um, it's in complete contrast to what you just said, actually. And, oh, good. And I, I don't put any discredit to the performer at all, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a, a performance and a representation of the character is completely an amalgamation between the direction of the piece, the actor of the piece, the, the text work that's mm-hmm. done on the piece, and also what's being yeah. played. And you, and you know what? I think this may be one of the funniest versions of The Tempest I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that what is lost in that is some of the depth of the character of Miranda. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think it was a, in it a bit of a disservice because there's humor and anger, there's humor and frustration, and there's humor right. and wit. And this is what yeah. bothered me with Miranda, is that she didn't quite feel as a witty character until the chess scene at the very end, and, and there was right. almost, almost bordered on this enthusiasm and naivete that felt almost like Manic Pixie Dream Girl, and it, it really bothered me because oh, Miranda's man. not a dumb character. She's not a dumb character, and she does no. well in the chess. She catches her husband cheating during chess, yes. which is like that whole scene. Yes. Um, and I think she is a little bit more cunning when it comes to, you know, potential ways to get off the island or to live mm-hmm. the life that she wants to live versus what Prospero wants. And, you know, that mm-hmm. tension. And I really do think that uh, there's a lot of dramatic um, chops that can be found between the yeah. tension between Prospero and Miranda in terms of mm-hmm. the uh, parent-child relationships, what is being yeah. restricted, what is not, the fact that she has to ask mm-hmm. for the permissions and mm-hmm. go along with what Prospero mm-hmm. said and and really the desperation of knowing that this is the only other person that you have seen for so ever long, you know? Right. Uh, like, I think there's a bit more depth that could have been explored, and I think maybe some of that depth might have been sacrificed due to the prioritization of the comedy of the characters, which, again, played brilliantly. I loved it, and in terms of the comedy, yeah. I think it was great. But if we're talking about which character I feel was not represented as well in terms of what I believe the character can be, mm-hmm. it would have to be Miranda. Fair enough. That, that, is, that is totally valid. Absolutely. Rachel. 
I agree. Where are you going? I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, again, like, like, um, she was the one person that kind of stuck out to me. Like, she didn't quite. Uh, we talked just now about like about Ariel and how they worked really well to kind of balance. Like, well, one thing I really liked about Ariel was that they were able to balance a human a humanism but also still be very magical you know mm -hmm. and make it believable mm -hmm. um and then also prospero was very like you know natural um she, she did a great job working with the text and making it like authentically build relationship with the people she was talking to and it felt real um mm -hmm. and then and then i just felt like there was something not like that Miranda didn't quite fit in there. Like there was something mm -hmm. missing. There was like there was a there was a element of relationship that was missing, or um, like kind of being like uh, what's the word? Um, that was like kind of being lost, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Which is, I think, I, I very much agree with you. Will there was there was definitely like something that they forgot to talk about being her intellect and kind of forgot to invest in that in her performance but mm -hmm. um yeah there's something that just just didn't quite fit for me there mm -hmm. fair like, enough yeah so yeah yeah fair enough fair enough there ryan what do you think uh who's your i think person you feel there was one for? kind of performance in this that it kind of stood out to me as sort of jarringly not quite fitting with the rest and that was Gonzalo Rod Petey, I think the actor's name is. Yes, famous uh, actor the Win uh, of the Winfield Follies. Yeah, um, there was something very contemporary about his performance, mm -hmm. which when everyone else was kind of trying to keep up this sort of period-esque air of, you know, early modern speech, uh, he almost sounded like a sportscaster most of the time. <laughs> I, I really felt yes. like, like it wasn't bad and like yeah. I, I don't want to be too hard on it but yeah. it just and yeah maybe in a very different interpretation of the show that would have fit in very nice but mm -hmm. he was the only one who really spoke that way with that rhythm with that speech pattern just that tone of yeah. voice and i really every time he opened his mouth i'm just like oh this feels wrong for some reason <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's it's funny too because like i remember thinking that as well and then that was a close second choice for me too ryan um the I think one of the pitfalls of, of playing Shakespeare's comedies nowadays is that oftentimes what can be seen as comedic is orating Shakespeare's lines in a very contemporary way, like what was done in this play. And I think it's a, it's easy to fall into the habit of doing that because people start laughing and then as the actor, you, you might get into your head like, oh, this is, I'm doing it right. You know? right. And then not to say that that's the process in which happened because again, it's an amalgamation of a lot of different views, points, and directions mm -hmm. within the play. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I kind of think that that's like, from my point of view, what happened there is that there's mm -hmm. this very modern approach to the text, mm -hmm. and it became oh, right. a bit strange. Uh, and the reason it was funny, I think, for me at least, was that it was so out of place compared to everybody else's. Yeah, and while I personally didn't feel the same way about Miranda, like I understand and appreciate your perspectives on this. I yeah. thought, like, yeah, she still felt like she belonged there, even if like there were maybe some missing nuances in the performance. Whereas I really felt like Gonzalo stumbled in from a different play altogether. And and see, like I agree with you, Ryan, that Miranda fit within the world of the play. <laughs> My problem is that the character was quite two dimensional. It, it, it didn't feel like a lot of depth there. I think a part of it too would be that uh, it 
you know, there's there's a saying that I like to use a lot when I'm working with actors uh, from a directing standpoint, which is like, you only ever paint with the color rouge. You're you're just gonna get pink painting at the end of it, like with no depth, no <laughs> real story to tell. You know what I mean? And it just kind of felt like this whole play. Miranda was operating within that color palette of rouge and red. Um, and yeah. you know, but this is a character that has blues and yellows and greens. And I know this. Yeah. Getting a little bit abstract in terms of the language choice, but what I'm saying is that I think there's an emotional there's an emotional depth that wasn't quite fully staged with this particular character. Well, piggybacking off that, well, because that's one of the notes I have for the person I think didn't do wasn't wasn't represented, which was Graham Abbey as Antonio. Mm -hmm. I found I found his well portrayal was very vanilla, like it was very bland. There was like, like he didn't get. The character of who Antonio is, because Antonio is supposed to be this mischieving, uh, mischievous character who who basically outwitted Prospero and got and got rid of them and and sent them off to die. But yeah, Graham Abbey, I didn't feel there was any threat with him. And I also will say because of the major age difference between him and Martha Henry, mm-hmm. I just right. couldn't mentally connect them as brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Like like that was something where I struggled. Like I I rather than have like somebody like a, like a Scott Wentworth. Play Antonio. That would have been good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I always feel like see that more, like more of a connection between the two. I have a hard time picturing Scott Wentworth playing a villain, though. I don't know. I'm sure I he's think done he could do a really point, good job at playing a he's villain. Just so trustworthy. I, I don't know. But that's the whole point of Antonio. Antonio should be a very trustworthy person within the court, but then behind the scenes, he's picking apart somebody and getting them, getting rid of them. I will like say, that. Matt, I think it's quite possible. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. ahead, Ryan. Well, I will say, while I do agree with you that there might have been something missing in his performance, I do think his dynamic with Andre Silves, and we saw this in Coriolanus Sue, those two bounce off each other very well, which I think is why it didn't stand out to me as much until now you're mentioning it that I'm thinking that, yeah, there was maybe a layer missing in the mischievousness yeah. cunning of this character. I, I think those two should be just a comedy team in general, even if they're not doing <laughs> Shakespeare. Like, they, they have like a really good comic on stage chemistry that yeah. I was charmed by. Like Andre Styles, I felt more of a threat with him than I did with Graham Abbey Antonio. But Will, you were saying something. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think the best version of Antonio is to play Antonio as Iago. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly it. He presents himself as a crane when in court, but like is quite the snake otherwise, mm-hmm. and you know bringing out those animalistic qualities throughout yeah. the play, I think could mm-hmm. make Antonio feel like more of that cunning threat that is implied through the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I think and I think tying back to what you said, Will, where they focus more on the comedy of this particular tempest than the other elements. Yeah. I think that's where some of Antonio was lost. Like that whole scene with him and Sebastian and Gonzalo and the king, where they're basically mocking Gonzalo the whole time, whispering to each other. But that's the idea of them ramping up to trying to kill the king and Gonzalo. That scene just didn't click. Like the comedy of that scene of them mocking Gonzalo, I found it but it was the darker elements of that scene of that underlying dread of oh my goodness what are these two schemers up to that i think was missed in in, in, in the so, way they did it yeah okay if it's okay mm-hmm. um because i'm not sure if this is the right place to bring it up or maybe later in the whether the production hit its mark mm-hmm. or not um but i'm, I'm gonna ask you guys this now because okay. there was such a heavy emphasis on the comedy in every mm-hmm. single scene, because mm-hmm. it, it seemed to be the priority in all of the dynamics on stage, mm-hmm. how do you feel Trinculo and Stefano landed as characters? Oh, oh, we talked about this before we started, but I will say I found them weaker as characters. Like, normally, I remember watching the Christopher Plummer version, because I watched that version as well, because that was the 
first version I ever saw of The Tempest. And the Bruce Dow and Grotwing Davies and Dion Johnson airing of, of them with, with Caliban, Trujillo, Stefano was much stronger and funnier than I found in this version. I found this version, their comedy was much more vanilla. It wasn't as heightened because the rest of the play kind of was all very comedic as well. Like that fish scene where they're jumping in and out of the covers with each other. Normally I'd be roaring with laughter, rewatching it. I went, no, oh, this is kind of not as funny anymore. I There's think something, something I will mention on that, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this before, especially. So this was the same season as the Coriolanus video. And you yes, mentioned when we did that video that mm-hmm. Stephen O'Met, did he, was he in an accident? Did he have a surgery? What was the reason for uh, that? He was sick. So, 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 he, so yeah. he, he wasn't doing too well, which is why when he was in Coriolanus, he walked with a cane. And, and that's why the day before well. he did. And that's and, why the day before, and Nathan Coriolanus, he didn't come up for curtain call. And I think like he's noticeably limping and spent way too much time in this production sitting, which I think Mm. does not do well for that character who should be bouncy and up and down. And because I think a lot more room for physical comedy, almost as sprightly as like an aerial type Mm -hmm. character in a way, because, you know, it's the clown, the fool. Like I thought Mm -hmm. he did some funny business with his octopus puppet at the beginning, but otherwise he was sitting for most of the play. And uh, especially like that scene with like the fish in the cover. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was really very clearly, I I feel like they were restrained on what kind of movement they wanted mm-hmm. to integrate into it that just wasn't there. Yeah, like so, those scenes with them, with that trio, should be almost like the Three Stooges level of continual physical, especially especially with the um, beating scene for Trinkle and Stefano where, where Ariel's playing tricks on them mm-hmm. and, and, they're, and they're beating up on poor um, Trinculo with, yeah. with, 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 with that Camino dell'arte slapstick. Yeah. Slapstick. Which is great, it's, but yeah. at the same time, it, it didn't quite work. There was something about it that just didn't fit. Well, I know, I, I can see your wheel spinning, though. I think uh, Rachel actually had something before I did. Oh, Rachel, go. Unless I well, missed Reacting to what you guys are saying, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't really give those scenes much thought, and I guess that kind of speaks for itself, because they mm-hmm. didn't really stand out for me in mm-hmm. general. Like, like there actually, there were times, though, when I did fully laugh, out loud at some small thing Tranquilo did. It was never really to do with the lines you were saying. It was always like mm-hmm. the little things he would kind of do on the side, like mm-hmm. small things. Yeah. And I'm usually like I'm usually the one that keeps watching the actor even mm-hmm. after the focus is shifted. I always kind of mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. on them a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I I can see that the maybe like the stationary aspect of Tranquilo would have been kind of hindering to opportunities for more like physical comedy mm-hmm. uh, i did kind of wonder and i wonder if it was just something that i would missed when reading the play the last time i did like making trinculo and like as old as he was like actually casting a really really old actor for trinculo mm-hmm. um because i think but keeping i like the fact that stefano is was tom mccamus and who was this kind of like older drunken kind of like i love that but it would have been kind of cool to see old old dog young pup as a dynamic instead not to say that what they did is wrong because i think Mm -hmm. there's something really charming and and innately Mm -hmm. funny about kind of two old fools together Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah i I actually you brought up the subject of age uh, with like more um like crossrow and uh Antonio, it, yes, yeah, Martha Henry Graham. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That mm-hmm. is very true. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah that i don't know if that quite makes sense like i think i wonder if they were to if they were to recast it like they either like go full old like everyone's kind of like got a bad back and they're all kind of trying to still do their shit and yeah maniacal and still make mm-hmm. something of their life mm-hmm. even at that age you know like antonio's mm-hmm. Imagine they're still maniacal and they're still like we're this close we've been this close for 15 years <laughs> you know what i mean that would be really fun yeah. or you know you you make those uh changes to suit the comedy i like the comedy mm-hmm. show i think yeah. i think especially with dramas it's really important that it's present mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. part of the especially with shakespeare when you're performing it now i think if you can make it funny mm-hmm. for a modern audience mm-hmm. good job good yeah job. Yeah. Speaking of which, like, kudos to Stratford for having such an awesome audience. Yeah, I know they were enthusiastic. Yeah, they were. They were really into it. Um, yeah. it, it made it more fun for me watching it as well. Um, you know, the thing is, is that for me, like, the comedy scenes with Trinculo and Stefano, I, I think, for like, for a couple of reasons, they were fine. I think they were just yeah. overshadowed because everything else was funny. You know, like back to that. Yeah, movie. yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything yes. was yellow for the whole play. It just right. Kinda, yeah. Like, Whereas yeah. if those three characters are the only funny thing in what is otherwise a pretty somber affair, then that yeah. would pop a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a balance, you know, like I think that you can find those moments with Miranda and why am I forgetting his name? Uh, and Ferdinand. Thank Ferdinand? You. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you can find those moments with Miranda and Ferdinand, and then you find those moments with Trinculo Stefano Caliban, and then mm-hmm. like you really are able to, I, you know, it's a fine line, and I can't blame mm-hmm. Stratford for going like right into the comedic. Mm-hmm. Uh, aspects of the play but you know what I, I have to say kudos to Trinculo because if it is an injury and that's why he had the cane I thought at first I was like oh that's kind of a humorous take on a usually a very movement yeah. character like a Harlequin mm-hmm. type yeah. uh, uh, or sorry Arlequino type uh, is what I meant yeah. to say um, <laughs> I was like oh it's kind of a fun take that can that can be played well but you know what I think he did an absolutely splendid job of playing through the mask Yes. Every time there was a focus on his face reacting to something, oh, it was it was absolutely flawless. Like as as mm-hmm. a fool on the stage in Shakespeare's yeah. canon, it was flawless. Like all yeah. of those interruptions Ariel had and him getting caught between Ariel's what Ariel saying oh, and everything yeah. else, like uh, it was yeah. brilliant. Mm-hmm. So kudos yeah. if that is more innocence of just seeing him, what? like yes. not knowing at all. Like this, yeah, yeah, like what? Like I don't know. Um, yeah, I but. I don't know if I can talk about this yet because it might come back later. Okay. It's about Ferdinand and Miranda. And I did like the comedy that they installed in that last okay. because I well, needed it. I needed it so bad. And they gave it to me. And I was like, thank God. Well, I think we'll get to that. We'll probably get to the to the question off. But did this okay, reference okay. its mark? So say, hold on to that. But I will say, tying back to Trinculo, one more thing about him is that I will say Stephen did a very good job of making Trinculo sympathetic where normally he's just the being like just another stooge on stage where he's getting beat up by um stefano with the stick but because of steve nolman he's such a sympathetic actor where like we see him now perform in um king lear as also the fool as also the fool uh i got to see him do um uh syringer adjutique in 12th night where once again he played that very sympathetic fool yeah really yeah Yeah, it was him and uh, the the late great, um, oh, what's his name? Brian Dennehy. Brian Dennehy played played huh. Toby in that production. The two of them, well, but yes, he does very well sympathetic characters. And I found he really found like this old beat up clown sympatheticness where I was like, oh, poor Trinculo. Like he's just trying to survive on this island here. He's not trying to do anything, but yet he's getting grouped into this assassination plot. Well, I do like the fact that 
there is a comedy aspect to him, like being this kind of old and haggard <laughs> jester who's still in the court. And for some reason, they won't let him retire, even though <laughs> Joe's retired like 20 years ago. I'm too old for this stuff. They kind of kept him on as a sympathy, being like, well, you know, he loves to do it, so keep on. Like, look, he came you know out with octopus hands. Oh, it's funny. Good job, Tranquilo. With no? the Tranquilo stuff, you know what? I, I do have to say that, and I, I'm, this could have very well been the intention as well with uh, casting Trinculo as this uh, more elder actor um, mm -hmm. is that I think that Trinculo is maybe one of the most accurate representations of the sixth age uh, that Shakespeare yes. describes in the Seven Ages of Man. Yes. Being in silk-furred pantaloon with spectacles yeah. on nose, couch on side, and you know his yeah. youthful hose, well saved, world too wide, and the way that they use the the wine jug or the rum jug mm -hmm. yes. uh, in those scenes too, and that dangling kind of mm -hmm. imagery. Um, yeah. You know, and like the the trembles in the voice and the mm -hmm. I, I, in like the whistles tones as well. Like mm -hmm. I think he did an excellent job of portraying that age in Shakespeare's canon as that archetypal yeah. character. Wonderful. Um, so I'm very impressed with that. Yeah, Stephen Olmet, shout out to you on that front. Uh, so on to the next part, which is what was our favorite design element of uh, of the show? Ryan, I'm going to start with you this time, and um, then Rachel, you'll be next. Okay. I think I'm going to go with the lighting on this one, Ooh. which I, oh, Will's making a face. I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not necessarily going to go with like just the lighting overall spot on every scene, but something that I thought was very impressive is in this play, just in general, uh, there's a lot of invisibility. And I think the lighting was very well employed to communicate that. Like often when Ariel or Prospero or whoever is just on stage and the others can't see them, there was this really like good, like blue periphery of lighting that they were kind of operating in so the audience could see them, but it was clear that they were existing in this different space as the characters mm -hmm. or the other characters that are in the regular light. I think there were some other scenes like the whole kind of, but we'll save this for another discussion, okay. I guess, but because it's probably going to tie in closely to the thing that I think didn't work. Okay. But it, it still kind of fits. I don't know. It was going to yeah. be a compliment, but let's maybe not go down that route. <laughs> okay. Well, right, why so did you make our, a face? <laughs> well, well, hold on a second. Next. Before we get there, Rachel was next. Rachel's very yeah. excited to tell us her favorite design element. Um. Yeah, actually, it was, I don't know necessarily whether it was like lighting as a whole, but they were like specific things that they did that was just like magic they just mm -hmm. went here's some magic and they threw it at your face mm -hmm. and it was always like there was one part where the ariel went at the top <laughs> i think it was before that really random point where all the goddesses show up and it's like why are you here <laughs> like the part where ariel was like standing on top of the tree trunk <laughs> you know what i mean well yeah and there was yeah. and the lights just like the little bits of magic they added yeah. everywhere. Oh, I just thought it was yeah. like, ooh. Which I like that they lead into a little bit more of the magic of Prospero. That sometimes we hear that, yes, Prospero is this magical, yeah. all powerful being, but then it's like, oh, well, we don't really ever see that except for maybe one yeah. moment when we get some thunder claps in the opening that's supposed to be the Tempest <sighs> that yeah. they create. But the rest of the time, it's like, how is he magical? Yeah. But then, yeah, the fact that, that's it, especially sad. with the harpy scene, the harpy scene where the light oh, that was that harpy comes at that big third like i think we watch them build that harp because we watch the behind the scenes videos of them Great. doing this massive puppet bird 
That's yeah. terrifying. It's yeah, terrifying. eyes that light up red and the top. What's the point of that? I, I, I mean, I we talked about it last week when we did mm-hmm. Mackers with Bridget, where she goes scaring a modern audience. Mm-hmm. Well, you remember this? It's one of the toughest things to do, and that harpy scene is meant to. Yeah, that that was terrifying. a true standout for sure. Yeah, the moment that I loved was that it all goes black. And Prospero was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the conspiracy to kill me. By oh! And then the second the lights come back on, it's just all gone. That was an amazing moment of just, like, blocking in the dark, I must say. Exactly. I will say, like, a, a very strong element that I saw in Macbeth and in this one is their transitions in terms of the, the like, immaculate set pieces they have are, like, spot on to the point where Shout it feels magical. Like, I could, absolutely. Like, especially with Macbeth. I know I'm going back to Macbeth, but I'm, I'm relating it back to Tempest. Like, I found the same quality that existed in Macbeth, where it's, like, these incredibly powerful, elaborate set pieces that show the, like, the prowess of the magic. Like, mm-hmm. we're on stage one second and gone the next, which made them even more, like, uh, eerie, in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And in this one, it made it even more, like, magical in, like, a really positive and fun way. To the point where when Ferdinand was like, oh, like, what, like, magical things, I could live here forever, or whatever those lines are. I was yeah. like, yo, man, me too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. Yeah, so shout out to yeah. the ASMs, you're yeah. the true heroes on the stagehands. You, the right. crew, outdid <laughs> okay. themselves on that scene that we probably didn't need, but you impressed us with yeah. your logistical prowess. Yes. Talking about the lighting is, I will say this, the reason I reacted the way I did, Ryan, when you mentioned that the lighting was your favorite element, is because in terms of all of the magical components of this play, like the mm-hmm. ones that are intentionally supposed to feel magical, um, it was great, and I loved all of those moments. But in terms of the lighting that was used for the island, it felt so static. Flat. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it was a nice yeah. warm wash, but that's all it was. You know, there was no movement within okay. there, so they, it felt very stale the entire time. And yeah. the actors, because a lot of these scenes didn't have a lot of movement, I found either. Um, now, what, I'm not sure what the, the reasoning is behind that, and it's a fine choice. But if you're going to have that, then, you know, the lighting really does need to have, like, I don't know if you guys have ever been on an island. There's a shimmer in the lighting, you know what I mean? There's yeah. Light and yeah. clouds rolling overhead, creating this temporary shade. Mm-hmm. Like these elements for me feel more tropical, mystical, exotic island mm-hmm. type of feels. Yeah. And for me, it's just like every time I saw a scene that wasn't magical, I was like, "That's a nice warm wash." Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I have to agree. I that. have to agree. That yeah. is in my production notes as well for weakest part. I will say though, my, well, my favorite, favorite part. part. Oh yes, what is your favorite part? Oh well, <laughs> sorry. I just want to make sure that I'm saying positive things because I know I yes. can be a hypercritical. That person. was the question right now. You're skipping ahead, yes. but it's fine. Yeah, you're skipping ahead on me here, Well, what, what is your favorite? Sorry. <laughs> my favorite part is actually, and it was hit and miss at the start, and then it grew on me as the show went on, was the costume. Did you guys Mine know as well. how I love this? Yeah. I love this fact is that Prospero's jacket is made yes. out of scrap materials from every other Prospero that's ever been played. With scrap that was in my notes, what? too. Yeah. Same thing with her staff. Like, like the staff actually had original yeah. wood for, from the original stage. Absolutely. Same thing with, like, yeah. parts of Peter Hutt's staff was incorporated and, and, into hers. Wow. And Ariel's costume, too. Like, those are the two standout costumes from your Ariel's yeah. costume as well, having, like, that feather-like quality coming down with Ariel being representative of the element of air itself mm. and just... The, described as a like, bird exactly right and like it, it just i think it absolutely nailed the aesthetic representation of what mm-hmm. ariel could look like i wish there was a bit more color to ariel's costume but i think it worked just fine the way that it was as well well she um, he reminded me of like a wood sprite is because yes. because ariel does ever forgets ariel does come from that tree that prospero frees him from yeah uh so yeah. like that so like, i actually didn't think about feathers for ariel. i thought it was like a barky 
Like there's the, the rounded wood, yeah. especially with his hair as well, was very tree-like, and the branches and coming the, out from around his eyes. Yeah. yeah, and the eyebrows. Like, I thought they'd be more to like the earthy elements of yeah of, of Ariel, where, where he was literally this islandy sprite. While we're talking about this costume of the magical character, though, sorry to interrupt, yeah. Mac, but what did we think of Caliban's costume? I like oh, it. Man, I, I love that. That, are, that it, it played into the, it played into that bestial nature because I remember watching it with Dion Johnson. What they did with him was they had him in yeah. like a leotard, very fish like one yeah. side green, one side reddish color. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of boring. At least with this, they actually made a really strong choice of Calvin, where like. He is this islandy creature that ha- has a claw-like earthy hand that allows him to dig in the earth, and he has, and it's all those shells going up his arm, like there's something. See, okay, well, you made it, so I want to hear your yeah. your yeah. take. Yeah, there's something. You know, there. it was interesting when I first saw it. I wasn't a fan of it, but as the show went on, I think they caught something that's often overlooked in this production, and and we're going to talk about this later when we get into the mm-hmm. show-specific questions about mm-hmm. the Tempest itself yeah. and, and Caliban mm-hmm. as a character, mm-hmm. um, but. The one thing I did like is that they, they caught the element that Prospero has the ability not only to shift the minds of people, but to shift the bodies of people using the yes. as well, mm-hmm. in this case. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did a good job of capturing that in the way that Caliban responded to Prospero's threats. Mm-hmm. And they, it, created this, uh, it created this feeling to me that perhaps Prospero already has punished Caliban in that way, and that's why Pro- or Caliban has that claw, why Caliban has those spikes in his spine. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So... I mean, for me, I think they, they caught that pretty well based on the costume. When I first saw the costume, it was a bit jarring, but how could it not be? It's so yes. not. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to agree with that. And I, and I, think, and I, think, I, think, that was, I think that's what made that costume so beautiful, especially when you get the close-ups and you can see, because it's being filmed versus watching it on stage, was just the amount of detail in, like, in, in, um, ink, in intricacies that went into that arm of his. Yeah. And, and even, even in the space where he talks about how the amount of, like, when you watch the actor talk back, they do, where he had to come in extra early because of the amount of spackling and makeup he had to do to create this, this extra bit of creature. And I didn't think about that, well, that the fact that Prospero could have easily cursed Caliban to look like this. And if that's the case, I would have loved to see maybe at the end when, when he is freed of, of Prospero, that maybe they, they are, there was some, some magic they could have done with the arm where it becomes mm-hmm. back have to a real normal. Shrek transformation scene. He <laughs> <laughs> um, becomes all shell. See, I see. I bring it up because, yeah. well, I agree. The costume was very impressive, and I was quite mm-hmm. taken with it when I first saw it. The more I thought about it, the less I liked it. Actually, the opposite oh. of what you were saying. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is, and this is maybe just a personal thing, and I know not every production is gonna just. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, ding it for not doing it the way I would prefer it to, because it's still fine. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of productions, and certainly the the Christopher Plummer one, would in which, you know, with that really red-green real fish-like yeah. uh, Calabana version. Um, I think these many productions try too hard to make Caliban otherworldly. Mm. And I think it would be so much more powerful, in my opinion, if he was just a normal guy. And whenever they, like, you know, ridicule him and chastise him and say he looks like a fish, that's just because they've never seen an indigenous islander before. All yeah, of these European sounds. That is true. And, like... I, I kind of, every time I see like a very otherworldly looking Caliban, I'm just like, yeah, that's cool, but you're kind of playing into the colonial logic of this. <laughs> <laughs> so I would personally like to see more of a more, a more human looking Caliban. I thought the costume was amazing and really impressive, but 
kind of. We can talk about that. Uh, I think we can definitely talk about that more when we get into the conversation of Caliban because I have a lot of the same notes. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, Rachel. Yeah. I think we cut you off a couple times. No, no, no. I'm actually mostly just listening right now because I <laughs> actually, <laughs> like, my actually my stomach's kind of hurting, so I'm like trying oh. to. Like, um, I ate too fast. Yeah. Um, but actually, inter- like I thank you for bringing up those points. That's really interesting because. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was something I kind of noted while watching the show. Like, I, but what I liked about the costume design for Caliban was that every time they hit a descriptive point of Caliban mm-hmm. during the show, mm-hmm. I would look at his costume and I'd be like, "Oh, that's there. Oh, that's there. Oh, that's there." And I kind of thought they really did a yeah. good job of interpreting. Yeah, it's great attention to detail. That's yeah. yeah that's definitely not what I'm taking issue with. It's. Just just the interpretation kind of always rose me the wrong way and certainly not unique to this production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also do want to give a special costume shout out to to all the goddess costumes, those long, beautiful costume changes. And we see Peacock with that, once again, that Peacock chariot Mm -hmm. that she comes in, even her her ruffs were very Peacocky. It was like wonderful. Just looking at all that detail that went into those goddessy costumes, I was like, ah! You're right, because the scene doesn't need to be there. But I was like, oh, it's still great just to visually look at it. And they just glowed on stage, those those three actresses, uh, Alexis Gord and Lucy Peacock, never forgetting, uh, um, I'm the third. Uh, Chick actress. Reed. And, uh, Chick sorry. Reed, thank you. Chick Reed yeah. uh, as the third goddess there. But yeah, all of them, like even, like, yeah, like every bit of the costume was just fabulous. Like, I would have loved to have seen the, the, the Naples people look a little bit dirtier after being washed ashore. Mm-hmm. put together for, yes. for, for that for that for what had just happened to them like i think only trinculo's outfit looked very uh salt water beaten everybody yeah. else kind of looked Everyone pretty looked nice great. and well put together so i'm not sure cross bridge some magic there and kept them all dry and safe but even like miranda and uh, prosper look very clean for what mm-hmm. for, for for what's for what's been going on with them the last few years i mean um, my biggest question, very, very, very small, was oh, when um, Miranda comes out in like a corset dress with like a nice skirt. Yeah. And I'm like, you were three when you came to the island. Where did you get that? Maybe it's one of Prosper's. Yeah, because uh, I mean, because of the gender flip Prosper. Lady, like <laughs> she's still a pretty old lady. You know what I mean? Like. She's <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm but she wasn't saying. only when she got there. It's been, it's been 10 years. It's been a decade. She could have easily had a nice course and she was like, I'm going to save this for my daughter and lock that away in a trunk. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yes, now let's get on to the weakest element of the show. And I want to start this one this time because you got I, I have something that, 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 that we have that I think we'd start touching, but I found the pace of the show really slow. And I think that tied in really, like you said, with like the lighting was very stale. And just the pace overall just wasn't there. And this is a really strangely paced show, but I found the biggest moment where I noticed it, because I remember being in the theater and almost dozing off, which normally I don't do. But the moment that got me was when it got to the King of Naples first scene where they're doing the attempted assassination. Mm-hmm. I just found that scene really dragged. Like I was thinking they're going, did they not do any edits to this scene to like pick it up a little bit here? Like it felt like they just didn't do any cuts to the text zone and just let it go. And I was like, this could go so much faster. You know, faster. Mac, if yeah. I could cut in. No, go ahead, um, cut in, you go. This is going to sound terrible. Um, yes. But trust me when I say it, I, I feel it enhanced my experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
is that when I found the scenes to be dragging a bit, I might have mm-hmm. bumped the YouTube playback speed to one point. You didn't. Oh my god. <laughs> I, and not a lot. Not a, not a lot. But there were a couple Good of enough. moments that I was like, oh, this is this feels quite slow. And when I sped it up, I was like, perfect pacing. <laughs> so I think that actually, I think, Mac, is a good thing to keep in mind that they didn't necessarily need to cut the script at all. But what they could have done was just made the pace a lot sharper. And maybe an extra rehearsal would have done that. Maybe they just yes. ran out of time to really tighten it up. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was because there were a lot more senior members uh, of, of, of the company in this particular production, like Tom McManus, Stephen Olmet, Martha Henry, the King of Naples. All these were more senior actors of the company. So like I found, compared to Christopher Plummer's Crossroad, which was a lot faster pace, Martha Henry's Crossroad, I felt, was much slower. Like, she took a lot more time with the text and at times i was like probably needs to be a lot faster on this train here like there's a lot that he's manipulating and there was just a lot of slower moments like that first scene with him and miranda where they're talking and she's giving the history of, of how they got to the island yeah. that's you know, you know i was like you got you got to pick this up a little bit here this is like, there know, needs to be some energy behind you yeah i think i kind of disagree a little bit like Ooh, I think well, a few characters right. that can take their time a little bit more and nice. i think the scenes that dragged the most were Trinculo and stefano Ooh, nice. interesting. i have to disagree on that i think because of the physical stuff they were doing and they were moving around a lot more i was like oh okay this actually moves a bit where it's just miranda and cross was sitting on a log or her walking around the log while miranda sits on the log i was like mm, this needs to be moved a bit like i i my question is do you think some of the scenes dragged or seemed mm-hmm. to drag mm-hmm. um, because you didn't care as much about those characters? Um, I wouldn't say that because I mean, like, I I love. I mean, I think Prospero is a wonderful character. I do care a lot for him, her person. Uh, say, like, uh, but there were just times where I just found it. Was, I was like, can we not go or do any of these character discoveries any faster than what we were doing now? Like, the show runtime I think was almost three hours. This play could easily yeah. be. Like a two, a two and a half, maybe two hour fifteen. If you were really, especially if you cut that big sequence near the end. You, <laughs> exactly. You mean, Ryan? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I actually, <laughs> I didn't feel that the show. I mean, again, I don't have a, anything to compare this to. I've never mm-hmm. seen yeah. another production of the Tempest live mm-hmm. um, before, which is a shame because I kind of wish I, I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I actually kind of felt there was at one point where I went. Far are we into this? Oh, oh, we're that far. Oh, I thought we were like, <laughs> like I thought I'd gone slower than that, but it, it was actually going pretty fast for me. That's um, the trick of this play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a lot happens in quite a bit of time. It's <laughs> like it's like part one. <laughs> yeah. Part two, three, four, five. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> like, I feel like they kept in a lot of things they didn't need to. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, there's one scene that they definitely should have kept in forever, which is definitely like when those like three goddesses came in. I'm like, oh yeah, they should have kept those for sure. They should not have cut those at all. But that's it. I that don't was, know. That was, I remember yeah. though when that scene happened. I'm sorry to keep going back to it, but <laughs> that scene happened, <laughs> and I went like before because Ariel goes up, and I thought he was doing something else. And I thought we were going to have another scene in the play like later on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I guess the play is like coming to an end. Wow, this has gone fast, and all of a sudden, ah! like all these women come through. It's like, it's great. It, it's a great. It's a great kick yeah. to the show. It gives you that energy that was like, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's like eleven o'clock number in a musical. It picks you up and leads you into that finale. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. Oh man, like and and I I know that this coming from me for people who know me is not a surprise, but the musical numbers for me just did not land. <laughs> oh, you were ridiculous. Oh. The whole scene is oh. ridiculous. We had to top this. Like they had to yeah. commit to the scene. Like, they had to commit to that ridiculous scene. I'm sorry, you say commit or omit? Because I'm in favor of one. Commit. 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 And I will say, I think what sold that scene for me was Martha Henry crying. That's what made that scene work for me, was watching her cry in the wing as this whole sequence is happening. I was like, oh, okay, there's that human element again. Which kind of makes me think that the entire scene just exists, because, like, if we're justifying why is this even here, it's a matter of like, oh, this is what Prospero does to amuse him herself. Just like in, because like, what else are you gonna do when you're trapped on an island without Wi-Fi and, and she has one book? <laughs> I missed that. What? She, she, Martha Henry cried during during that scene. If you watch her in the close up, like you can really see the tears coming down every time she comes out from underneath under the balcony, really wiping her eyes, and she talked about that. Where she talked about just as a parent watching, yeah, that's uh, as a parent herself watching this moment happen. Where this, this is her giving away her daughter, um, and just see, that's I, that's how I took that moment, and and I feel that that moment could have existed without the musical numbers. <laughs> I also think that a big incentive for keeping this scene in there is just because of how few female characters there are in this play, mm, like especially. Yeah. So, like, if you don't yeah. gender swap Prospero, it's really just Miranda and these random yeah. goddesses and maybe... You could gender swap with... Ariel, though. I have you seen you could, but this production not... didn't, and we already yeah. complimented it for that. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I think the temptation to keep this scene is, like, we have all these great female performers in our company. It would be a shame to cut the few roles there are for <laughs> them, especially, like, the more senior actresses, like Lucy yeah. Peacock, who, you know, you want to give her this star moment, but that scene really shouldn't be so prominent. <laughs> uh, back to the original question, what is the weakest part of the production? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ryan, what was your weakest element that you found? Well, I already got into it. For me, it is just that whole sequence. That, that, the, the, the Juno scene? Which, yeah, Juno not, like, I don't think it was, scene? I don't think it was poorly done in this production, I just think that take it behind the barn and <laughs> put, a, put a dramaturgical bullet in your yes. in your trusty pistol and just yeah, yeah, that scene does not need to be in this play. It yeah. did not need to be in this play way <laughs> back in Shakespeare's time, but you know, I'll cut him some slack because this is his last kind of play without Fletcher. Um, yeah. yeah, and like yeah, I, I think it just yeah, it grinds the whole thing to a halt. Yeah. And yeah. for but I will say it was redeemed by that one moment I loved when with the short blackout, like, oh no, right, Caliban and his friends are gonna kill me, and then lights back on and it's just gone and the look on Ferdinand's face was priceless. <laughs> like, where did it go? <laughs> so good. So good. Well, how about you? You kind of I already kinda hit on this. You know, it's um the the best and worst part of the play is is the comedy of it. it mm -hmm. It's the funniest version of The Tempest I've seen. Truthfully, it is. Um, and it's also the only version of The Tempest I've seen that's wholly comedic. You know? Right. Uh, to the point where it becomes a double-edged blade, where it doesn't feel like the play has much more to offer other than it's mm -hmm. comedy. Um, and don't get me wrong, like great performances all around. I enjoyed a lot of the elements of the mm -hmm. play. It's just one of those things that in terms of some of the like, contrasting, brighter emotions that were mm -hmm. played during this play, uh, mm -hmm. I just don't feel those areas were explored. And then I already talked about the lighting as well. Um, it's yeah. funny because like all of these things do have contrasting elements where it's like, 
it's a funny play. Is it maybe going for the funny too much? Yes, maybe. Uh, you know, the lighting's good. Yeah. Is it good all the time? No, not really. Yeah. It's yeah. like dancing this fine line between like great and not so funny. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Rachel, how about you? Is there any other element you want to give a shout out to that you think maybe could have done a little bit more on? Um, I did have a lot of trouble caring for the scenes with Gonzalo, Sebastian, and Antonio. Yes. With a lot of trouble, like a lot mm-hmm. of trouble, like really kind of being invested in those scenes and caring about that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found I was more invested in what Prospero was doing and what Prospero and Ariel were doing, what Tranquilo and Stefano were doing. Like, I was more invested in what, what was happening there versus anything like those scenes kind of just happened for me. And you thought I was going to say the goddesses, but no. It's like at the end of the day, they did that scene well. They did. I, I'm the first to well. say that. And I just like, don't. I just kind of felt. Um, I feel like. With Shakespeare, it's hard to criticize Shakespeare, uh, like a performance of Shakespeare in a lot of ways for me, because I don't know, it's over 400 years old. You have a right to make your show and it's going to, mm-hmm. some people are going to love this show being more of a comedy and some people are going to mm-hmm. hate this show being more of a comedy. Like, But there's always going to be another production of The Tempest somewhere that you could enjoy more. Always. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, very much what Will said, like, this is not real. I think all the actors did a really good job. I just... Uh, yeah, the, the scenes with Antonio and Sebastian really slipped for me. Like, I just, I didn't care yeah. about I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I wasn't scared of them either. That mm-hmm. was the thing, too. I wasn't scared of them. I wasn't, um, never at one point, and it could just be that I know the play really well mm-hmm. now, um, but I was never nervous about what was going to happen next. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think earlier when I described it was a comedy duo, which I enjoyed, again, coming back to what you keep saying, Will, that very funny version, funniest version of The Tempest, but yeah, those two characters, as much as I enjoyed their comic dynamic, maybe didn't need to, there could have been more depth and layers and more menace to them, too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they were like, they were like bros. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't, I, I didn't really care. Agreed. I, I felt the same way. That's one of the reasons I made my other list. Like, just to emphasize, like, from my point of view, now I'm going, like, hyperbolic with this, but, like, I feel like this play leans so much into the funny that you could have somebody walk across the stage with the text, meanwhile, dot, dot, dot on it, and then transition <laughs> into the next scene, and it would have, I wouldn't even have batted an eye. You know what I mean? Like, it's so towards that sitcom level. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Or a voiceover sure. announcer saying, Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio I mean, and Sebastian are plotting. <laughs> Love that. That would be a funny version of the Tempest to see for sure. But also, uh, I do want to add, though, that like there are elements with Antonio, Sebastian, and Gazzalo that are supposed to be funny and are written as. They are. Oh, yeah, yes. for sure. I don't think it was wrong that they made that choice to invest in the comical side mm-hmm. of those scenes, but I do, but like, yeah, I just. I yeah, something is lost. But one bad that part. Like I, I really do want to emphasize for for any of our listeners out there, to everybody in this chat, like I, the comedy worked really well, and I, and I love the, yeah. the take on all these characters leaning mm-hmm. into the comedic aspects. My question always when I watch something like uh, something from Shakespeare's canon or an ancient Greek tragedy is, with the take on the staging they have, you know, what are we losing? Because there's mm-hmm. there's always a give and take, right? Like yeah. you can't just have comedy without losing the tragedy. Mm-hmm right mm-hmm. um and, yeah. and that's what i feel was lost here some of the darker elements of these characters mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's what it is. It's a take. And, and I agree yeah. with you completely, Rachel, is that this is a version of many, yes. many versions. And, and, and it's like, just, my, it's not mine, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. for us, too, like, like we, we, like, I feel like, because we're, we're such young artists still, kind of, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. we've got these incredible seasoned actors in, like, Stratford, which is the Shakespeare... Homeland for Canada, like for arts Mm -hmm. general, right? So, Mm -hmm. uh, for Canadian theater, and like we have a lot to learn from what they're how they're performing. And I'm Mm -hmm. curious if I'm curious to see like what somebody who is perhaps more immersed in um, that side of things how they had how they felt about that show. Really, the audacity of us, the audacity of us as these sprightly young people to want to be. On a yeah. weekly basis, criticizing being everything. For sure. Wonderful. Okay. So the next question that we have to talk about is what were some of the themes, motifs, ideas, and symbolism that we were found were explored particularly in this version of The Tempest? Uh, I'll, I, I, I'll, I can kick us off on this one. There's one element I found that was highlighted, and that's something Martha Henry even talked about, was the idea of the manipulation of nature and just the way nature and the fact that actually had nature represented by these little minty people, one of them played wonderfully by Bridget Wilson, who we had on our last episode. Uh, but you got to see these little nymphy creatures throughout the show popping in out of the woodwork and hopping around the, all the sides of the stage and just having that represented as just the way Prospero manipulates them, whether it's for a moment of, of levity where it's this mask dance and then the next moment it's them being the hounds. Like yeah. there's something about just having that represent us is just showing the power that like humanity plays on nature and just the way that we manipulate it to either our good or our bad wills that we have about uh, about it. So I don't, that was one of the that was one of the, the themes and motifs I noticed was just that they really highlighted this part of the production, particularly. Will how about you? What theme or motif or symbolism should I do this time? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely there's the, the play towards the naturalistic elements mm-hmm. uh, that exist within this play in particular um, mm-hmm. that were done quite well. Uh, mm-hmm. I do like the fact that Miranda and Prospero and Caliban and Ariel all represent this more naturalistic world uh, that's mm-hmm. untouched, by, untouched by man, quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, man being like destructive force of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> just so everyone's clear what my quote-unquote was. Um mm-hmm. And sort of this like interloping of, of humankind onto this balanced, balanced quote unquote world, um, mm-hmm. and like the destruction that they bring and rot with them. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like we get a little bit of that too when we get into Prospero's backstory with Caliban, mm-hmm. like that Prospero very much had the same mentality when he arrived at the island or she arrived at yeah. the island, depending yes. on the staging, of course. Um, like that would be the thing that's highlighted most. And, and you know, this is where I struggle with comedy, and I, this mm-hmm. is very short sighted of me, and I know this. Mm-hmm. I find it. Um, when comedy is such a high priority, and I'm sorry to keep going back, I feel like I'm hounding on this point. Uh, <laughs> again, I love the comedy, very funny. Um, but Did you, Will, though? Did is, you? When comedy is prioritized in this way, I, I find that sometimes like themes, motifs, and ideas don't take a backseat, per se, but it, it's very washed with mm-hmm. that element of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like there's a lot of fun imagery at play in terms of like, elder to youth dynamics going on between Prospero, yeah, Miranda, Ferdinand, as well as Trinculo, Stefano, Caliban. Mm-hmm. Um, like those two trios of, of characters I find mm-hmm. like captured that. Um, 
I guess that divide, like the limitations of the elderly yeah. body to the like uh, the sprightly young nature of these uh, younger people, uh, mm-hmm. kind of like the passing of the torch elements mm-hmm. going there too. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I said I don't really have much to say on this topic, so I'm not going to keep talking and pretend like I do. Fair enough. Ryan, how about you? Where do you stand? The well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that the themes and whatnot do have to take a back seat when the comedy is really emphasized because the second you ask that question, Mac, which is I've been on the show twice before, I should have anticipated that question was coming, and I was kind of drawing a blank on how to answer. And mm-hmm. I think that might be a testament to kind of the way that this production, in its emphasis on the comedy, maybe. Mm-hmm did have to subordinate those kind of additional elements. A theme that in general with this play that I think the play is usually about that just by virtue of doing the text, you're gonna communicate. I think just like the idea of like slavery and servitude and justice and punishment, like those, to me, that's what this play has always been about and every kind of plot dynamic always does integrate them in some way, but it's hard to kind of get invested in those scenes now that i'm thinking about just how funny it was and how you could kind of completely let that wash over you and it doesn't seem like it was something that a lot of thought was put into in the creation process yes good ryan come to the dark side (laughs) (laughs) wonderful rachel how about you is there Uh, anything you wanted to shout out in this area yeah i think i think um uh, transformation by environment, like tra- mm-hmm. transforming your environment, motherhood, and mm-hmm. letting go. Um, mm-hmm. It appears to me, like, as examples, so transformation by environment, one good example. And by environment, I don't just mean, like, where you are, but who you're introduced to and, like, the people mm-hmm. that you're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just by simply, as, like, Stefano in the comedy scenes, mm-hmm. uh, taking himself from a lowly position as a drunkard to being like, I am now a god, and I'm going to take this situation, and I am a god. <laughs> um, for, uh, Miranda being introduced to love and having that transform her and, mm-hmm. and take le- a leap of faith. And, um, and then also Prospero by being revisited by old enemies. And then, mm-hmm. and then by the end, re- almost not reconciling, but forgiving for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of uh, what i recognize in prospero is that she's kind of a good person trying Mm -hmm. to take revenge like she's and this is like kind of touching on the question that's going to happen later it is so don't Um, go too deep (laughs) i won't go too deep i'll talk to you later but like that kind of and then letting go being ariel um asking to be for freedom and then finally Mm -hmm. receiving it and being able to let go of prospero and prospero also being able to let go of ariel um Mm -hmm. and uh and yeah, so that's kind of where I've seen. That's what I noticed. Yeah, well, motherhood, I, motherhood was another thing too, and I, it was amplified because I actually didn't notice that happened, but it did happen. Where um, Prospero was weeping when her daughter is being mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Th- there was like a good sense of, uh, and like it's so hard not to bleed into the questions we're gonna ask later, but like, <laughs> um. Yeah, like I did, I did feel like motherhood was there, where it's like, yeah. like the, the love of a mother and daughter is, um, you know, pretty strong. Like it was pretty strong in its production, and it, it, yes, it has to do with the fact that Prosperos was a woman. There was that dynamic anyway. Um, mm-hmm. that they created, but I thought it was really genuine, and I it really spoke to me specifically in like the first scene with Prospero and Miranda when she's talking to her, like the little things that she did that that like mothers do. Mm-hmm. It was very, very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. But that's 
yeah. So that's kind okay. of again. I don't want to talk any more yeah. than already have. Fair enough. Fair enough. If I if I could add one more thing quickly to this subject because I like I wrote down I have I have two notes on on this question in particular because oh it was established so early on and then it fell away so quickly that it, it just didn't feel like it was worth talking about but like I thought that there were gonna be more themes and and uh, like symbolic moments of power and control um, especially mm -hmm. on like the political scope which we'll get into later when we talk about Caliban yeah mm -hmm. uh, but like there's very much that huge power struggle between Caliban yeah. and Prospero at the start and the big power struggle between Ariel and Prospero at the start and mm -hmm. these two characters being forced into servants like servitude mm -hmm. uh, yeah. by Prospero and then and then it was so quickly dropped, you know, like it's like Caliban, it felt like he was more going along with Trinculo and Stefano's fantasies and adventures mm -hmm. more than being like, I want to get revenge on Prospero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like that really being the driving force of the character, he he felt suddenly like an accessory to the scenes, which I didn't right. like personally. And then the Ariel, like, well, I love Ariel's portrayal in this, like the, the performance itself was incredible, is I did feel that there were only a few moments where that really big drive of intensity of like, I want to be a free spirit. Like I don't mm -hmm. want to be in servitude to you came through because there was a huge chunk of this play where it's very much like, I have done the thing for you, master. Like I am here, master. Like, let me do more stuff for you. Master. Yes. Like very enthusiastic, which is great. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. But you know, it's like, I'm coming back to my other point. I'm sorry. We're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get into the next question. We'll let Ryan kick this one off, which is as a resident TA, once again, did this production hit the mark, and is it worth the watch? Um, I, I have mixed feelings, I guess. Uh -huh. Like, you're specifically asking, would I show this to students? Um, show it to students, show it to family, show it to friends. Yeah. Like, like, I was entertained. Mm -hmm. Beginning to end, I thought it was a very entertaining and very funny production. It's like, just as like a casual, pure mm -hmm. enjoyment sake, I would recommend, sure, give it a watch. Mm -hmm. I think if, like, I was teaching like a theater history survey course or a Shakespeare course, and I was wanting to show the students like a version of it staged. I think I would probably be a lot more inclined to show the Christopher Plummer Strapper production, my notes. which I think is like a much, I, I don't even want to say more faithful interpretation, but just like checks a lot of the boxes a lot better. Yeah. Feels like more of this kind of like perfect form. Exactly. Also, I think. Christopher Flower was just birthed from the thigh of Zeus to play the role of Prospero, but like, <laughs> that I like—I don't think anyone would deny that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's nothing against Martha Henry; she did a fine job. But I—I uh, I think, yeah, this production and a lot of the things we had talking about how it missed some marks here and there. Yeah. I think it, it would not be like a go-to. Yes, watch this one, and you have now seen The Tempest. I think other productions have done it better, including just the most recent Stratford run prior to this. Yeah, and I, I will piggyback off because that was pretty. You basically verbatim, but like took my note on this, where, 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 where I said it was a very mixed bag production. Where for a uh, production element, I would definitely want to show this to people just with the lights and, and the harpy and, and, and the Juno scene. And just as Ryan said, the magic of that all going away, like the fact they leaned into the magic and heightened that, like even the Tempest in the opening is so beautifully done with the lighting and the thunder and all that great stuff. And just the way they timed it, it was beautiful. But from a performance side, I would much more likely show people the plumber version just because I felt performance wise, that was a much more even healed, better paced version of this. So yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with you on verbatim almost that. Plumber for performance, this for production. 
Rachel, what do you think? Uh, yeah. Yes. I think it's worth a watch. I think it's mm-hmm. worth showing. I Especially, I think it's worth watching, uh, showing to, uh, high school students. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically because it is so enjoyable. I think it's mm-hmm. a very watchable te- Tempest. Mm-hmm. I think like we're like we're we're you know we're dissecting it, and you're always you're always gonna find trouble with the production. Yep. Uh, even of this scale, it was a beautiful show. The harpy, like, mm-hmm. like, like, in terms of actually depicting the story, I thought mm-hmm. they they painted a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very watchable. It's like, I think. It's something that, you know, someone can enjoy. Some people might not. Like, if you make it, it's worth watching in some capacity. Freaking Absolutely. I, I mean, that's the joy about Shakespeare. Every adaptation gives you something special and different to admire and to watch for. Like, that's what's nice when you can watch every... And that's why Stratford has been around for over 50 years and has done these Shakespeare plays how many times that we've seen how many different Prosperos cross that stage and break their staff and drown their books because it's one of these sources that just allows actors to come back in and people want to see different interpretations all you have to do for that answer mac is count the different materials on prospero's jacket in this show (laughs) right well that's exactly it i still love that martha henry went in and found particular little trinkets and fabrics to have them work into that costume because it's beautiful it's a beautiful cloak and i look forward to the day when it's presented in the archive to where you can go in and what see if, that cloak. But Mac, yeah. what if the next Prospero has to take a piece from it for their cloak? Uh-huh. Now we get into the question of, do the roles of Ariel and Prospero still work when their genders are swapped? Because we've now seen two productions, Plummer where he was a male Prospero and Ariel who was a female Ariel. And now we've seen the reverse of that where Ariel was, was male and Prospero was a female. So Rachel, why don't you kick us off because you were doing hand gestures. Do these characters work when, when, when their genders are swapped? Yeah, absolutely. I think Ariel specifically is so neutral that like they mm-hmm. can be a they. Like yeah. I, I don't even, I, I always saw Ariel as a they. Like I never mm-hmm. really assign a, a gender identity to mm-hmm. Ariel because mm-hmm. they're just so above mm-hmm. like that. I feel like they're, they're just, they're like the wind. They flow wherever they need to be, right? right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, with Ariel, I think choose the right actor for the role. Bottom line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And That's then like, for Prospero, I think it works really, really well for either because, mm-hmm. um, uh, for instance, working with the uh, oh, with a female Prospero for this production, what I liked about it was actually seeing how well the um, the mother daughter relationship worked, and like it, it heightened the relationship between. Miranda and her mother and I think it works really really well and mm-hmm. again like the, with the, within the world they created mm-hmm. yeah of course she was a she was a royal and she was usurped and she was put on an island and mm-hmm. that, it was completely believable for me I don't mm-hmm. think there was a lot of like even within the text there was no moment when I was listening where I felt they were stretching it like they were working really hard to make it work you know what I mean Mm-hmm. Um, I think it. I think it's completely probably one of the easiest roles to interchange, mm-hmm. um, because it does work so well. And then mm-hmm. the patient, like with a with a father daughter relationship too, mm-hmm. boom, that works even well, even better. And I guess I'm focusing on the relationship between Prospero and Miranda mm-hmm. specifically because that's where we begin the show. 
Yes. Um, and if you're not sold in the first two minutes, you're gonna have a problem the rest of the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's first two minutes are on the boat, though. <laughs> and then, like the first, like on the boat, the boat you, you know you're on yourself. a storm. But like the first, like the first scene we see, like two people yeah. building a relationship mm-hmm. is I that know. scene. I- I just had to nitpick. Oh, you're I'm right. sorry. You're right, Ryan. Oh, you're right. Um, <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> Ryan, how about you? What do you think? All right. Well, Rachel, I definitely agree with you on the aerial points, and I mm-hmm. think if it hasn't been done already, I think there needs to be a production with a genderqueer performer playing the role of Ariel because mm-hmm. that's just a no-brainer, and there aren't enough good roles tailored towards genderqueer and non-binary performers anyway and there we go it's right there sitting right in front of you right there (laughs) yeah so yeah i think ariel can always go back and forth be anything be nothing be both i will did you mention an idea about just having like a whole pack of ariels was that no that was that was rachel yes rachel yes thank you sorry um yes i think yes you full of good ideas about how to play this character and yes i think that would be lovely like have people from all over you know the gender spectrum play this part and yeah works perfectly it is the wind doesn't matter um in terms of female prospero i don't really have any issues i think the one point where i can think of where it might actually just need a little legwork in my mind is just the fact that uh the the royal lineage doesn't make as much sense i guess because uh as a younger brother in these times antonio would be the heir to the throne anyway if crossbow's an older sister i don't take much issue with that and i don't think that like oh character ruined and (laughs) um you yeah but like yeah the fact that it's a mother-daughter relationship or i could even see a possibly a gender flip Miranda and maybe have it be a mother-son relationship, a father-son relationship. Like there's certainly room for that. I mentioned earlier that like there aren't enough female characters in this play. So if you can make Prospero work as a female character, I think it definitely does strengthen that. For me and for the character of Prospero, it's a very masculine energy about Prospero. And when you don't do, as, as Autumn says, your dramaturgical due diligence, so your DDD, like there's there's an underlying power of, of the masculine Prospero, and it's a very possessive anger to Prospero, where like where like he's very possessive of his daughter. And there's something about that that makes it harsher and tougher. That that's more of a father giving away his daughter. Much yeah. like, much less of a like, like when a mother gives away her daughter, it's a very different energy than what Shakespeare had interpreted. Like Shakespeare's idea was it's going to be a father. It's meant as a foil to being that of the king. And on top of that, like, there's just, like, just the way he talks about her maidenhood and just that, I'm giving my daughter away to you. It's that thing of, there, there's that energy to it. And just the fact that it's a very masculine anger and revenge. Like, the anger and revenge of Prospero's side of him, I felt, was lost more because you have this female energy on stage with Martha Henry versus when you watch a Christopher Plummer play those moments of real anger and and drive of getting his revenge there's more of that you know i i, 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 I have yeah. to interject i i have I to because you know i actually picked out a, my copy of the tempest mm-hmm. in a collected works and i i was mm-hmm. watching along uh, while reading a first folio version as well mm-hmm. similarly that is online uh mm-hmm. forget which website has that brilliant document i'll send it to you mm-hmm. guys they have like all of shakespeare's plays as far as like all the versions they have uh, mm-hmm. put in pdf versions online and the Beautiful. first folio versions have been redone for like modern writing 
in a way right. where it still maintains yeah. the writing and the punctuation, the spelling, etc. Yeah. Um, so it's it's fairly faithful recreations mm -hmm. of the first folios. But mm -hmm. you know, like <laughs> I think that it, of course Shakespeare's intention for was for Prospero to be a man, like, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. But you know, I I, I think that there is a I have some skepticism around the argument of like, you know, anger and vengeance being these male qualities when earlier on in Shakespeare's career, Lady Macbeth demonstrates these qualities right. more prominently than almost any character in all of Shakespeare's canon. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. well, what about Tamara, one of Shakespeare's first mm -hmm. big breakout plays? You know what I mean? Like, we have these incredibly vengeful female characters who are ruthless and more cunning, I find, than a lot of male characters that occur mm -hmm. within Shakespeare's canon often get their way, even if maybe short-lived, often get what they want in the short term. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, like, the, I guess my, my thought is that if the comparison is, you know, like, dramaturgically, there are these masculine power plays and elements of this character that, that you know, wouldn't necessarily be captured through a female perspective, I think that's a matter of direction and who you cast in yeah. the role entirely. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't disagree more, to be perfectly honest with you, based Ooh. on that evidence. Like, I think, I think Prospero is excellently fit to be a female, if, if that's the choice. But I think you have to balance it, you know, and like that's kind of what I've been mentioning this whole time throughout this play, is that it leans so much into the motherhood, he lost the vengeance mm -hmm. um, I mean, in this production. I mean, like, in any... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, uh, interrupt, but I have a thought now about, um, like, a woman playing Prospero and thinking about, like, where the revenge comes from. Because I mentioned before that I feel, though, that Prospero... This is semi-answering a question, but, like is kind of a good person taking revenge like somebody who's actually and prospero is a good person like even when they were um uh like ruling the country the people loved them they were like somebody they they as admired. far as we know as far as we know yeah. keep in mind who's telling the story yeah we can only we only have the information we're given you know like we can we can assume whatever we want but um <laughs> Yeah, it just seems like they're, you know, yeah, I'm going to take revenge, and then they just kind of let things go. But with the motherhood and kind of with the revenge spark, I mean, if you, if you, like, put a man, like, women are usually more, ten, like, have a tendency to, to be more manipulative when they're trying to get what they want, and they're, there's more of emotional manipulation there. Whereas, like, men are capable of that, too, but men are more brawn. Yes. Well, like, they'll... They'll fight it out, you know. That's and I'm I'm depicting a very simplistic view of how men and women fight things, and I'm just trying to do that to serve a purpose of describing like how you could um, kind of uh, place those into these performances and use those to kind of like show the opposite, like opposition and how these characters go about enacting their revenge. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I agree with you, Will, completely. I think I think Prospero is perfectly set up to be a woman as well as a man. Um, and I just wanted to answer the Ariel question too, because I, I did yes. find it both interesting and exciting from like a modern artist perspective that we all seem to have the same opinion about Ariel, which I think is incredibly. It, it's just so good to do, which is that I too like in my notes. This is exactly what I wrote. I think in particular Ariel is accessible as a gender fluid character. I personally mm -hmm. think that this character in particular in most of Shakespeare's canon is accessible beyond gender norms that are established mm -hmm. in today's society. Like, I think it's incredible that the three of us, I, I haven't quite heard Max's opinions on the matter yet, but so far <laughs> the three of us have all landed on that um, as as just fine. And and you know what? And, and this, I, you know, leaning into like a really modern staging of it, I'd be interested to see a version of Ariel that is in drag 
for some scenes and not in mm. That'd be interesting. Um, and just, to see yeah. how that would really play. Or just have Ariel be played by so many different people. You know yeah, what I mean? There's a whole fleet of them. Well, that's you, like, you, could, you could do that. You just know um, Ariel, but they'd be someone different. They'd look different. Because yeah, and more to the directorial point of like, if, if you were to cast a female Prospero, like how to capture some of those more quote unquote masculine qualities, because I, I don't think that they're restrictive to masculine presence on stage. Um, you know, like for instance, if you were a female playing Prospero, what I would say is like, you know, if the question came up, like, why does Prospero want vendors to stab him? It's like, okay, well, imagine you have this child who you have just birthed, right? And mm -hmm. somebody is now telling you that you are being sentenced from your home, removed from all wealth. Your child will not have the future that you thought that they would, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you had an opportunity to get back at the person who threw your own child into such turmoil, even though you're in an okay place now. You know, like, I really think that there's something in there that a mother could relate to in, the, in the terms of, like, a method approach. To yeah, it's a mama bear archetype. Yeah. Yes, the mama bear. Well, and Very I, true. My question is, why do you think, because either or, if it's played by a man, if it's played by a woman, Prospero doesn't, like, doesn't take revenge at the end. He reconciles. Or they, like, yeah. why do you think they do that? Well, I think. Oh, I have a very clear answer for that. So, so, so we'll get there. We will get there. We, we, we will get to that moment. We will get to that question. Uh, Will, you were saying that you wanted to know my thoughts on Ariel. Yeah. But, and I have to agree. I think it could be a very easily done gender fluid uh, performance. I, I would say if you put me, if I put a gun to my head and said, would you prefer a male or female Ariel on stage? Now, having seen both, I would, I would like to see a female Ariel. There's something about Ariel that is that, that a female I think brings in more. Like I was watching Andre, and there was something very grounded about his performance. There was very grounded. I don't know if it's also because it was costume was very woody and it was a very earthy, grounded performance. While the plumber female Ariel, who was played by, I looked up her name actually, Juliana Solitio, uh, and she was in this blue uh, to, um, leotard and was, and was much smaller, much more impish, where she kind of float around the stage. But I don't know, there's just something about having, like if you said male or female, obviously I, could, I would say gender fluid, why not? Like you could go either way. Have, have both a male and a female Ariel on stage together and have them interswap with each other, which I think would be fine. But I think for me, I think, I, I, like, I, like, I like the idea more of uh, having a female actress play Ariel, because once again, it gives that opportunity where there's not a lot of female characters in the play, and this character is one of those few that can totally become female and without without there being any ddd needed well and you really get into a political scope of the play mm -hmm. if you had ariel prospero and miranda all played by females no that's true because you have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean you could you could but you know and it, i think Caliban really emphasized the tension that caliban brings into the scene like mm -hmm. why is caliban so desperate for a new master you know what i mean like yeah you could really play on some toxic masculine qualities of uh, <laughs> Um, I think I think it could be an interesting staging yeah. to have those three yeah. in particular as all women, and then mm -hmm. have the rest of the cast as being all men, and then see what yeah. kind of crazy stuff comes about by that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, speaking of Caliban, it's oftentimes called a monster, but some people call him a mislabeled character. We are very much like Othello, Shylock, uh, a lot of the other other Aaron and Titus Andronicus, who are the others of the of of, of, of this of the Shakespeare canon. Does Caliban fall in there, or is he just straight out like an evil dude who is trying to kill somebody with a nail in the head? So, uh, Will, why don't you kick us off with this one? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Ryan and I were going to get into this a little bit earlier, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you dress him up in this monstrous outfit, like, you really do play into this political, colonial uh, stereotype of, like, yeah. the, the foreign person or the other mm-hmm. that is often mm-hmm. referred to in an academic scope of, of mm-hmm. Shakespeare's characters of, like, mm-hmm. being these, like, really um, non-understandable, like, like deformed creatures that aren't quite up to the standard of the white man and i know mm-hmm. how obviously ironic that is as a as a straight white man saying that um <laughs> i'm not ignorant to that fact but the <laughs> the truth of the matter is is like there is a connotation that is quite negative when you stage caliban as this monstrous character mm-hmm. now on the other end of the spectrum you stage him you know as you know what is typically like a, a black hole like um in terms of like a, an actor uh, being mm-hmm. put into that role Sorry, my brain is starting to get a little bit jumbled. I've had a couple drinks now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, it, it then brings in the other political question to play, you know, of, uh, like, the master-slave mentality that can exist mm-hmm. between Prospero and Taliban. You know, mm-hmm. what is your play saying with this? Um, it's 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 a tricky question. And, and, you know, like, I'm not quite sure what the answer is myself. Um, in terms of the, the original question you have asked, is Taliban a monster or is he a mislabeled character? Um, Shakespeare's time, yes, I mean, clearly the, the intent is for him to be seen as a monster. In today's time, I don't, I can't think of a version that I've seen of Taliban, because I've seen both versions where he's clearly like a monster, like in this one. Um, mm-hmm. and then I've seen other versions where it is taking that more political statement of saying, like, look mm-hmm. how people used to see, you know, African American cultures, or, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, some of these tribal colonies in terms of like, yeah. their status, whatever the deal may be. Um, mm-hmm. and neither one feels quite right to me. I don't think you, if you're going to have Caliban costume-wise as a monster, I think you need to really, as a director and as an actor, find the humanity of the character. Mm-hmm. And if you lose that, then you're you're really cheapening the value mm-hmm. and the depth that this character can bring to the stage. Like I, mm-hmm. I encourage anybody who works on the show to really find that depth of humanity of Caliban mm-hmm. and, and find this really tortured soul, because that's what he is, mm-hmm. literally tortured by Prospero. Mm-hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. quite directly implies and says that within the speech and text yes. itself. Um, you find that, I think you find a lot within Taliban that can be brought to the surface mm-hmm. to really round out the show's cast of characters. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, what do I know at the end of the day? like This is not yeah. something that I am well-versed mm-hmm. on in terms of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's a monster. I do think mm-hmm. he's a mislabeled character because of how often he's cast as a monster. Mm-hmm. But those are my thoughts around it. Well said. Ryan? I pretty much agree with that, which is why I kind of took issue earlier with this costume that really does force us to see him monstrously. And yeah, like I think quite literally like the version of this show that I would much prefer to see, and I'm sure others have done it this way, is just to have him just be like a normal guy from a different culture, a different racial background. Um, also, something that is interesting is I like canonically in the text Caliban is of mixed race because the, his mother is Sycorax, the witch, described with fair skin and blue eyes. So if that is quite literally already the product of some kind of colonization, mm-hmm. effort, which I think is interesting and worth discussing there. But yeah, I think so much of the, the monsterization that the other characters, especially like Prospero and mm-hmm. Trinculo, who really... Yeah describe him as fish-like or malformed that i think would be so much more powerful if he's just a normal person who is seen this way because these colonizing figures have never seen such a person who is just Mm -hmm. a normal person whose skin might be a different color than theirs yeah and truth be told i would actually quite like to see an ariel that is also of the same 
ethnic background as our Caliban is because they are both natives of this island. Mm, that's true. Which is always strange, I find, when you have like a very white Ariel, as is often the case. I know we had an Asian performer play the role in the Christopher Plummer version. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is the indigenous life, and they're both enslaved by quite literally, you know, the the first white person to show up on the island is the witch who mm -hmm. imprisons Ariel and, you know, births Caliban. And then the second one frees them by just continuing to subjugate them as slaves again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I really think the humanity of these characters is crucial and it is quite politically irresponsible in my mind to make them monsters and mm -hmm. in this production in particular because it's so comical and Caliban's was some in some of the funniest scenes in the show I really think that you know is quite taking the colonization quite lightly mm -hmm. which isn't to my cup of tea literally uh, <laughs> funny 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 I will piggyback off you Ryan I will say I agree I also think he is a mislabeled character who's just stuck in a very unfortunate position where he, where at the beginning of the play, he talks about how when Prosper first arrived, he was welcomed in, in, into their chamber. He was clothed and taught and, and educated by them. And then the minute he, like any person growing up, begins to find attraction to the, to whatever gender or person you find attracted to, and he became attracted to Miranda, the minute Prospero had that moment happen, he shunned him. He basically turned he basically turned his back on him. And there's that anger and that pain of like, I don't know what I did wrong. Like I was just somebody else who like, like we were just there on the island and this one day this happened and you turned your back on me. And there's an understandable anger and pain. It's almost like that speech he gives with that be not a feared moment where he's talking about the island. It's almost like I could I rank it right up there with that. Hath not a Jew's eyes, hath not a Jew's hands. It's that same type of Shylocky, a, a human moment where you see Kylan breaking into this beautiful, eloquent speech to these people. Yeah. They just totally ignore him and don't pay attention to what he's saying. But as an audience, we go, oh, you have a great deal of depth to you. Mm -hmm. And the fact you know, that I know, yeah, go well. I was just about to say, too, is like, I completely agree with you, Mac, like in terms of falling. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is academically like an often talked about thing when we, yeah. when the term like uh, the Shakespeare's others, and I don't mm -hmm. know, like Ryan, is this still a term that's used in, in the academic like, scope of describing you, It's characters? more likely that you would talk about just otherness of yeah. a character more so than describing the characters themselves as others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like he, he definitely, Caliban himself definitely for me has always been the same way that I viewed Shylock, which is like this mm -hmm. other really troubling character for a lot of modern dramatists to, mm -hmm. to capture. And uh, like the question around Shylock is always that the anti-Semitic qualities of the character. You know? right. um, and I, I find that for me personally, he is another one of those characters that like you, you just have to find the depth of humanity of the character. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in Shakespeare's time, obviously like, there were some unavoidable elements in the tensions with these characters. Yeah. But I think as, as modern dramatists, we have... Mm -hmm. A responsibility to find the depth, uh, mm -hmm. to find the depth, and to really bring it to the forefront. Yeah, well it's said. All we well can said. Do. Rachel, what do you think of the Caliban as a character? Oh uh, yeah, I I wrestle with this a lot, um, especially like when I like um, when I've read it or when I when I with this production too, uh, and I've seen like I've seen other videos, but not necessarily like a full production. I've seen like depictions of how other people have presented Caliban. 
God, man, I, 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 I really wrestle with this. I do because yeah. I, I also like agree with everything you've said, because I think from a definite, definitely from like a modern standpoint, mm -hmm. um, we are like for sure going to see, um, the relationship between Prospero and Caliban, um, mm -hmm. uh, somebody who's indigenous to an island, somebody coming in and taking over and making them subservient with a co mm -hmm. colonial lens mm -hmm. because it is, um, ah, man, as a mislabeled character in, I, I don't know. Like if, if, if the part where, um, Miranda's feared because, uh, Caliban, like it's inferred that something not too great happened. Yeah, um, and, it, and, it, and it's not as simplified as being like, Oh, he was attracted to her because of course, sure. You can be attracted to somebody and still not be it. Am I allowed to swear? Uh, yes. Yeah. Still not be an asshole about it. You know what I mean? What a mild swear word it could have used. <laughs> or as you could say, and still not be somebody like, you know, you could still be like, you know, so. He reminds me, um, and I just thought of this now. Has anybody ever read, Weather read Weathering Heights? Yes. Okay. What Heathcliff sucked. Yeah. He's the worst. Him and Kathy suck. I hate them. Do I think Heathcliff had an awful upbringing and definitely played to his character when he aged? Yes. Do I think he still sucks though? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. is Caliban like mislabeled? Like, could he have had the opportunity to? If he had been given the love and acceptance unconditionally as as he was in development, yeah. But did he still do his shit thing? Yeah. You know what Probably. I mean? You know, so, and you know, I find that that's like the complexity of this character though. Like I yeah. completely agree with you, Rachel. It's like I and I think it is an often overlooked thing, is like clearly something more than just having a crush happens. Like, yeah. The intentions and the, a lot of the time yeah. I've seen this. And Miranda's like, fear too. Miranda's fear that she's shown yeah. it. But then I found it curious in this production where they took a moment for Miranda to look at Caliban and put her hands on him. And like, mm -hmm. make eye contact with him. And I was like, wait, no, what are you trying to say about the real? What are you trying to say about what happened? What are you trying to say about what happened? You know, was it a miscommunication? Like, was it something where the lines got, they fell in, they both fell into a gray area? You know, and they like like there's just so much complexity in that character, and I think um, I don't think it's fair to label label him as a monster, but then also not label label him as as misunderstood. I think he is a complex character, mm -hmm. and I think um, with the colonial view that we are bound to have as some as people who are watching and presenting plays that were written 400 years ago and still like putting them on stage and doing them, I think I think that's also valid too. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting that often productions have assigned that character to a person of color, um, which kind of says a lot about the people directing the play that that's, that's automatically the relationship they assume. And is that, is that something that's good anyway? I don't know. You know, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether like, does that say a lot about the people directing the shows that they're automatically assuming that the other character is going to be a person of color like i think it comes down to, in a lot of ways it's like one of the few characters that we have good reason to think 
canonically is of non-Caucasian heritage. So yeah. like, I think like it would be, I think a lot of directors are approaching it from the same way that like, of course, we're going to make Othello black. Of course, we're going to make Caliban black. Like it's, they just. Well, well yeah. Othello is actually described as a person. I, yeah. Versus Caliban is just simply an Islander who has scales for arms. And like, I just think it's, you know, um, I, I do think it's curious that we continue to associate the other with people of color in this instance. And I wonder, like, I'm just, it's just questions. It's just mostly questions. Yeah. It's just tough to think about, especially as we continue to perf uh, mount shows that tackle the same yeah. years. You know, I'd be interested to see a take on this production where, like, there is that, like, something more than just a crush happened between Caliban and Miranda. But mm -hmm. it was consensual for both ends, and like there's now this like un like unspoken element to Miranda and Caliban's character, where there's a lot of sympathy towards Caliban and the way he's been treated, um, mm -hmm. and maybe explore some of the tension that can occur there. And also um, shame, really, too. Yeah. I think shame. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, and also shame too, like shame being um associated with with sex and and um learning your sexuality growing up and seeing how much Prospero would have taught her that, you know what I mean? Like, or, mm -hmm. you know, she knows about her maidenhood, whereas like he could have brought her to an Island and that could not have existed. And she could have been, you know, kind of like, Oh, I don't know. This is shameful. But of course, again, the play was written 400 years ago with, with a whole bunch of other, with a completely different environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if a play, if a, if the Tempest was written today, it would be wildly different. Absolutely. Um, so, to answer the question, is Caliban a mislabeled character, or is he a monster? Uh, depends how you direct the show. Great answer, great answer. And now we'll get into the final question, which Rachel, I want you to lead on, since you've alluded to your answer so many times already. Uh, is Prospero a villainous character? Rachel, take us away. No, I don't think they're a villain. I think they're a good person trying to do uh, something that's against their nature, which is exact revenge. Um, because uh, because they think that's what they deserve, which is kind of true. They definitely deserve some revenge. We all want them. We like. We all want Prospero to get revenge and to do these awful things to these people. But um, at the end, they they know. That's kind of not who they are. Mm -hmm. That's my take. Mm -hmm. Ryan? I think, well, I agree with you, Rachel. I think that's definitely a great take. I think just like what you said about Caliban, it kind of depends on how you direct and play the character. Um, because I could certainly see a version of this where uh, Prospero is just incredibly villainous and like, yes, I will have my revenge, but spoken better because it's Shakespeare. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, I could I could really see, a, I've never seen it performed, but I could really see a dark portrayal of the character who is like very much a villain. And Christopher I, Lee. Christopher Lee would do it. I would uh, love yeah. it. But <laughs> what I think is like the line, because there is an exact line in the text where you can point to, okay, that's where Prospero has the change of heart and that's when talking to Ariel, I think it's an act mm. four, and yep. uh, mine would, sir, or ma'am in this production, were I human. And Prosper has the realization yeah. that this spirit who's not a human, does not possess humanity, is more mm. sympathetic towards these people than I am, and mm. I'm a human. 
what does this say yeah. about me? Yeah. And I think like that could be a real heartbreaking moment, but it only works if that humanity is lost prior. And mm-hmm. I did not see that in Martha Henry's performance, unfortunately, mm-hmm. probably just because she's a very charismatic human of a person and, mm-hmm. and it was a very funny take. So I think, yeah, like, like, like you said, Rachel, about Caliban, it could be if you decide to play it that way, although I do quite like your interpretation as well as a good person trying to do a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, like, I, I'm going to kind of make an amalgamation of what Ryan and Rachel just said, which might come off as boring, but, you know, there's like a couple characters that I really do relate Prospero to, and one of them might really get you guys off guard is Hamlet. Hmm. Um, I can see that, though. And I think the difference is, is that Prospero, we just don't get to see the inner machinations of Prospero's mind as much mm-hmm. in terms of the to be or not to be mentality, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have these two characters who feel mm-hmm. justified to exact this revenge. Um, one of them follows through, one of them doesn't, is the mm-hmm. difference. Uh, I think one of them learns a little bit faster than the other one that maybe something isn't right, which is why I think, too, Prospero is is always and will always be an older character. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah. it, there's a wisdom to the character, mm-hmm. understanding that, yes, we, we are inclined towards these acts of extreme mm-hmm. cruelty when we are hurt, but is it is it right? No. Um, and, you know, I think that taking that idea, Ryan, because that's always how I thought about it, too, and I've always sourced that as the moment that Prospero changed uh, changed his mind about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, from an academic standpoint, that's very clear as well. Uh, but directorially, too, especially with the take on like Taliban being a monster, mm-hmm. not a monster, but treated by a monster by Prospero, mm-hmm. is like I would have established, if I were to do this play, um, I would establish like this sort of uh, like a crystal ball ability to view all the other scenes that are taking place, um, but maybe using like a scrim and projecting like recordings of the previous scenes so that like Prospero is constantly watching the events that are happening on the island because it's alluded mm-hmm. to that Prospero can see what's happening on the island quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like while Ariel is talking about that, we're seeing this like scrim projection of Caliban, Trinculo, and uh, Stefano, right? And like there's this sort of representation mm-hmm. of, of Prospero going through this motion of like, you know, if I were human, you know, I'd feel this pity. And then, you know, Prospero realizing that he or she has removed themselves from these human elements of like emotion and consciousness mm-hmm. and then like relating it back to Caliban and the treatment mm-hmm. there. And then there's the, there creates this a like, really powerful through line of humanity and like what mm-hmm. defines humanity within this one very nice dropped in moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where all three of these characters who are in one way or another, not human suddenly mm-hmm. become humanized. Mm-hmm. Right? I think there's something quite powerful that could be done within that dynamic mm-hmm. and that power play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I no, was... Prospero is not a villain. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I will also say I don't think he or she is a villain. I think they're a very hurt character, and their and their main emotion out of that they're that are being fueled throughout the beginning of the show, at least up until the Act Four moment where they change, is this hurt anger. Like it's that kind of thing of when you get um, insulted or something happens to you and you want to get your vengeance. It's that hurt pain of anger. It's like I hurt from this. I was cast out. I was sent to die on an island, but I survived. And it's that pain and anger, which is why, well, t- taking off your idea of how would you adapt this, I, me, me, I picture this almost like having Prospero, he or she, looking very islandish, like the long kind of hair looking much more, nan- not Neanderthaling, but more, not as well put together, but then like as the, uh, and then like as that moment of realization comes awesome. and having that, venomous anger drain out of them they slowly but surely to uh, after that moment begin to 
become more human again. But for that first part, you really need to get into that wild hair, wild beard, anger, just rolling. And then there's, but at the same time, there are moments within that where it's this tyrannical creature that also has this kindness that happens with the, with, with, with the daughter. Like Miranda is always that humanizing moment for Prospero. But then the minute he's with Ariel, like even when we saw with Martha Henry, that moment where he, she scares Ariel and talks about him being locked back up in a tree. Like Andre played that really great moment of fear where like you could see Prospero being able to do something really scary to them. So it's finding that mix of them, but having Miranda being that one piece of humanity. And then she even loses that humanity because she goes off with Ferdinand and now she's left alone again. Now it's like even more of that, like, my focus of life is now revenge. And then, and, and then ultimately by the end of the play, she, they do become human again by letting go of that revenge. Because that's something that happens to all of us. We all get wrapped up in our own idea of wanting vengeance for whatever happens, whether it's a school bully or something that happened where we want, where we didn't get the grade we wanted and we want vengeance for that and having that vengeance be removed. Because ultimately when we remove our vengeance, we do see clearly again, but there's while there, we all see that red. And I think Prospero, because of having them sail by, it's that red moment where it's like, I now I get my moment to take my vengeance on them. I, oh, no, I really think thought. that if you're if you're gonna play Prospero is not the villain. Mm -hmm. Like there are a couple moments that need to be established by the end of the play. One is a mm -hmm. redemptive moment between Prospero and Caliban, and the yes. other is clearly showing Ariel's release from Prospero. Yes. Because early on in the play, it is very strongly implied that Prospero is the villain through yeah. his control of, of Ariel and Caliban. Mm -hmm. And for yeah. a modern audience, it's hard not to see Prospero in that day of his life because mm -hmm. of that. Moment. Yeah. And so I think that you need, by the end of the play, to have that moment, which is actually, like, as much as it was kind of a joke earlier, like, that Shrek yeah. moment that you were talking about, Ryan, is, like, I think that's <laughs> absolutely critical to happen with Caliban, yeah. to show that Prospero had, like, had tortured Caliban, had mm -hmm. shifted his physical form into this monstrous mm -hmm. way, uh, mm -hmm. this monstrous body. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not who Caliban is, and it never was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, like, really, really have these nice moments of, like, not like, oh, yay, look, everything's fine. But like, you know, there are ramifications that will be dealt with after the play is over. But very much yep. everyone's getting on the right track in terms of what mm. is right. Yes. Morally. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, everybody. Well, I think that's where we can kind of end this episode on. Uh, Rachel, why don't you kick us off? Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, get in contact with you after watching oh, this yeah. panel? Oh, yeah. That's the first thing you're going to want to do. Um, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on my Instagram uh, at RAE141 on the Instagram, and I post a lot of funny videos, and I do all those ridiculous um, things where, like, like anyway, it's not that important. But, hey! We're gardening <laughs> on Instagram. We get, get to watch your gardening adventures on Instagram. Gardening adventures, uh, monologues soon to be posted, yeah. hopefully. Uh, my demo reel's there. Beautiful. Wonderful. Ryan, where can people find you? As always, I am not a social media guy, so <laughs> I would just much prefer you throw all that love to Cup of Hemlock. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on this video, and Beautiful. I'll see you next time. No, go on. Well done. <laughs> well done, Ryan. Well said. Will, where can people find you? Yeah, you know, the joke was last week is that they can't. I didn't have Instagram or Twitter or any of those things. I have an Instagram now. You do? Um, I well, do. It's, it's Will R. Bartley. W-I-L-L-R-E-A-R-T-L-E-Y. -L -L -E -E um, I have an Instagram. I don't post, so don't expect anything. Um, mm -hmm. But you can follow me there, and you can find me on Facebook. 
I'm always uh, down to have coffee or chat about things. So if you why don't you start directing some shows, well, then you can post. Well, I'm already following you. Maybe. Oh, oh sweet, great. <laughs> I, I keep getting notifications. People are following me, and I'm like, I, I must be doing something right, even though I'm not posting anything. Yeah, absolutely. How I am from social media. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, and you can follow me at Mackenzie Corner on all social media accounts: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Look for the photo with the guy with the ginger hair. You'll find me not difficult. Uh, you also can follow my podcast before the downbeat on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that great stuff there. We just released an episode all about the musical Chicago, where Autumn and I talked all about the idea of media and how we, as a as 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 a as, a, as the human race, are fascinated by murder and, and media. So we get into all that good stuff in there. So feel free to tune in on that front, but please do follow Cup of Hemlock. Uh, if you are an artist uh, who is a, who is working on stuff during quarantine, please send that our way. We'd love to feature you at marketing at Cup of Hemlock. Sorry, marketing Cup of Hemlock at gmail.com. Uh, and then, uh, Will, I think we were happy to announce that we'll be doing a uh, another live reading. Mm -hmm. And we're we posting sure on the YouTube. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a reading of Ghost. Uh, and will you'll be directing this reading? Just to be clear, uh, that's Ghosts yeah. by Henrik Ibsen, not Ghosts of the Henrik Swayze movie. <laughs> Damn it, I was also a pottery scene. Yes, I, I will be directing. Put that in heavy quotation marks. It's a polished reading. We'll yes. be reviewing the scenes with the actors, and, and yes. it'll be open to the public. We're very excited yeah. to share some of the work we're doing and yep. some of the performance qualities we're hoping to mm -hmm. tease out in a couple of headlocks stay close. So, yes, stay tuned for that. Additionally, uh. More info to come on this, but for those of our listeners that are very much into the performance aspect of theater, uh, you may want to start preparing some classical monologues uh, moving forward. We might have something for you in the future, and uh, there might be some prizes involved. So keep your eyes open. Exciting! I can see Rachel Pitcher's wheels turning already. <laughs> She's going for all the prizes. Some Marlowe, if I can find some, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, extra everybody. points if it's not Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. there we go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We've now uh, broken our staff and drowned our book. And we will see you next time when we uh, head off to Athens to talk Time in of Athens. Uh, that's the next show we'll be talking about. One of the less done Shakespeare. So we'll get into all that good stuff next time. Uh, enjoy, everybody. Have, have a great week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And until then, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.